Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Greg Koch here, and this is the Chewing the Gristle podcast. We have extemporaneous conversations with musical friends from all walks of life, genres, nostril circumferences, things of this nature. Brought to you by our good friends at Wildwood Guitars in beautiful Louisville, Colorado, and Fishman Transducers of beautiful Andover, Massachusetts. Can you dig it? Folks, another tasty installment of Chewing the Gristle. We've got my buddy Kirk Fletcher, one of my favorite guitar players. So tasty, great tone, and just a magnificent guy. What a great torchbearer for blues, past, present, and future. Enjoy this installment with Kirk Fletcher. Today's going to be fun. we got another fantastic guest, a buddy of mine, an extraordinary musician, just a cool cat, Kirk Fletcher, ladies and gentlemen. Kirk, how the heck are you? I am doing okay. I am doing really okay. Okay, <laughs> that is cautious optimism, and I like it. Yes, I'm doing okay. How are you doing, Greg? You know what? I can't complain. I just got done with a nice little walk, and I know it's 7 o'clock there in the evening. So has it yeah. been a day there in Switzerland? Whereabouts in Switzerland yeah. are you, by the way? I'm close. I'm about maybe 30 minutes outside of Zurich, and it's kind of hot today, so I'm a little bit, you know, little hot. <laughs> well, Switzerland's a beautiful place. That's all there is to it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. But here we are in the middle of this COVID madness. So you you have been home like everybody else, I would imagine, hanging out. You've been Absolutely. posting a lot of awesome videos. Every time I see one, I click on one. I just enjoy it. Every time I hear you play, I got oh. a big smile on my face. There's just so much joy in your playing. I love it. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's your, your plan is fantastic. And every oh, time I hear you play, it makes me happy too. And that's really important. <laughs> it is. Happiness is key. Yeah. I believe the first time we actually uh, officially met was at that, um, it was probably 10 years ago now at that lighthouse club in. Um, oh yeah. That Hermosa beach. Is that where that's yep. at? That's yeah. probably the first time we met. And it you played through my super too. You played awesomely, and then you you were oh. kind enough to let me use your super reverb, and that was like the greatest sounding super reverb of all. Oh, time. thank you! <laughs> it sounded so good. And then at the end, we had that little jam with uh, yeah with Eric Gills. That was a lot of fun. That was just a cool night. That was amazing. It was so many great guitar players there too. I was super nervous and at the lighthouse, Greg Cox. And you know, um, Jeff Pivar was in the audience too. Yes, indeed. I remember that I was, was like, the first oh time my I, actually, God. I actually met Jeff. Was that I, I met him once before that just kind of in passing, but it was just yeah. cool to kind of hang out with him. And then of course, since then I've, I've become pretty good buddies with Jeff and we hang out. Absolutely. Actually, he did one of these interviews as you saw, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's coming. Yeah. The Jeff Pivar one. Is Absolutely. Coming. Yeah. That's so he was awesome. so funny. We did this. Um, he was in town with uh, with David Crosby and my wife and yeah. I went to go see the show and it was fantastic. And and he had just gotten one of my Reverend guitars, you know, one yeah. of my, uh, Gristle Masters. He got a red one. Yeah. And he was he was just so funny in the middle of the show. He just goes like this to the crowd. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that guitar you, is Jeff. so that, that your signature model is so practical too. It's just a little bit bigger, you know. That's right. A little bit for you know us taller guys. That is correct because so often we get accused of playing miniature guitars, and I'm tired of it. That's that. right. 
Absolutely. I get accused of that all the time. You just, man, that looks like a pencil in your hands. <laughs> I'm going to leave that right there. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your, your musical history, if you will. So you're, sure. you're from California. You are born and raised in California. Yeah. I'm like one of those crazy dudes. Yeah. yeah. I was born and raised in California. Grew up in uh, church. You know, my father was a Pentecostal preacher so I grew up in the Holiness Church and just like Roy Buchanan said, you know, the Holy Rollers, you know, right. swinging on the chandeliers, jumping and shouting, sort of like the Blues Brothers movie, that church scene in the blues. So, you know, right. that's sort of my background. You Have know. you seen the light? Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, and then my older brother played guitar. And, um, you know, he's the one that got me started playing guitar. So he was 17 years older than me. So you okay. can imagine he was born in 1958. So his right. record collection was all the good stuff, you know, right. R&B, funk, and even Eddie Van Halen, Jimi Hendrix, and all that stuff. So I really was spoiled by, you know, just the music he told me about. And he told me to learn how to play chords and stuff, you know. Awesome. I just solo all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have similar backgrounds in that regard. My my older brother is 14 years older and there were oh, five wow. girls in between. So I had to room yeah. with him. So I was exposed to all of his records because, you know, if I was like all my other friends, most of which were like the oldest in their families, I should have been into like, you know, Kiss and all oh, that yeah. kind of stuff. But at the time I was like, Kiss? I mean, that's, I mean, you know what I mean? So that, it just didn't seem like a real band compared to the stuff my brother had exposed me to. Yeah. No offense to you Kiss fans out there. By yeah, me. totally. But uh, it was just kind of a whole a whole different thing. Yeah. So when did you gravitate towards blues? Because you are a, what I love so much about your playing is that it's respectful of the past, but you've got your own thing. And it's not, it's not an angry blues. And I don't mean that to, as, as an aspersion against other individuals, but Sometimes when you when you hear uh, blues being played, there's this there's edge to it that it could be construed as anger. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's, I, there's you, just such a um, it's just it's off, it's authentically heartfelt and it's a joy to listen to. So when did when did you decide? Yeah, I've got all these different influences, but blues is my lane. Well, you know, it's just so comfortable. You know, my family is from Arkansas. And I went there every year for trips. So I was staying, you know, my grandmother lived back in the woods. You know, my uncles listened to blues, my aunt, you know, and everybody listened to blues. And it just, that soil, you know, that Pine Bluff, Arkansas soil every year, it just moved me. And at 13, I saw Albert Collins at the Long Beach Blues Festival, too. So, I mean, that's like actual guy with the Telecaster on stage on 10. Like, they didn't even put him in the house at a festival. <laughs> it was so loud, you know? So, I mean, come on, I'm 13, and I see right. Albert Collins. I mean, if you want to get somebody into something, you right. know, show him Albert Collins, you know? <laughs> so that's really, really kind of it. And plus, you know, the mid-'80s was like, you know, everything was on the radio. You had, like, uh, Starlicks, you had Guitar Player Magazines, right. you had cassettes you could buy at the Kmart, you know, and everything. So it was just a great time for guitar players, you know, and just guys like, you know, Robin Ford and Larry Carlton and right. all of that kind of stuff, like a little bit older. They were kind of getting into their 30s and stuff, so they had a little more season and starting their solo careers. But you asked me what got me into blues. 
Yeah, Albert Collins. <laughs> I'm all over the place. I'm so excited. <laughs> no, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah, I Albert mean, Collins is all, one of my all-time faves, without a doubt. Yeah. And that's another one. Just, you know, what's, what's interesting about, you know, um, Albert Collins, Albert King, um, certainly BB, but when I, when I think of, when I think of those guys who have just such a signature thing, especially like Albert and Albert and Albert, because they tuned yeah. that weird tuning. So they had a limited vocabulary, but yet they always said something new and you always <laughs> wanted to hear it. You know what I mean? Always <laughs> you know, I purposely, it's weird, Greg, because purposely I kind of went backwards I kind of had learned a lot because in the 80s, you kind of learn, you know, like finger tapping and stuff because that's part of the language of a kid growing up in the 80s. So I kind of like had to throw away a lot of stuff to get to that point of having, oh, okay, well, maybe Kirk's got a couple things that he does all the time, you know, and kind of right. trying because I really studied their style and thought about it, man. You know, they're saying so much with just a couple notes, you know. Right. So I had to really kind of think in a different way. Because, you know, you, like, learn all of this technique, and then you have to kind of throw it away in a way. But it's still Well, well it is an interesting thing. And, and I, I was listening. I was on my walk this morning, and I was uh, listening to a gig you did in England Yeah, um, with a four-piece band. I think it was from maybe 2017 or something. It was in black yeah. and white footage. Yeah. And um, But I it was great. And you opened up with a Freddie King tune, and – what I love about it so much is because you know how it is. I mean, the blues is something that has been done a million different ways from Tuesday, right? <laughs> and and, oh. and I've joked about the fact that, you know, I, I <laughs> that pretty soon they're going to have a blues star that's in utero, you know, because it's yeah, everything, you know, or, or else it's going to be a, a member of the animal kingdom. You know what I mean? That all of a sudden we're going to mark it as, you know, the yeah. blues star. But yet, yeah. the, but that intrinsic language of, of the blues when it's played in a way that's just honest and full of joy, it just doesn't get old. And, and there's a lot of call and response, but it's it, a lot of people, when I, when I do like, um, you know, Skype lessons and whatnot, a typical yeah. thing, most guitar players are so frustrated because, you know, on down the line, they're going to be, they're going to play in a way that they think is tolerable. You know what I mean? But that, yeah. that, that on down the line is always further down the line. And I was yeah. like, look, there's nothing stopping you from making joyful music with the, tools you have at your disposal if you think of it in terms of a conversation you know what i mean yeah sometimes it starts off with you know what i'm talking about but i'm just saying yeah. you play like that if there's a conversation Aww. going on it begins it's accentuated there's uh there's a story being told with <laughs> with Aww. apexes and you know what i mean and more calmer <laughs> sections but that's it, it seems so logical but yet it, it isn't to, to many i mean and again that there's different tastes for everybody and there's no good or bad or different. But for me, I, when I hear that, that's something I enjoy listening to. Oh, well, thank you so much. You know, it's funny because like, you know, I had a, I done a few private lessons um, a while back, a few weeks back, and it was a lot of fun. You know, there's some really sweet people out there, really right. nice. But you know, the thing that I would get asked a lot is, okay, I know the pentatonic scale, but I want to add to it. I'm sure you probably get that question too. And, oh, you know, lessons. and I'm like thinking to myself, you want to add to the pentatonic scale? Why? <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. You know, 
It is. You know what? I, think a couple of notes, I don't know if you, you experienced know? the same thing growing up, but when when you start hanging around people that are because like you played in jazz band in high school, I believe, right? Yeah. As yeah. did I. And, and you know, a lot of times you get accused of being just a pentatonic player. And you're like, is that a bad thing? You know what I mean? What do you mean you just, oh, you're just playing those pentatonics, you know, where I was like, yeah. I just like music and I don't really care what's being done. But yeah. I think there is that stigma that it's not legit if you only know pentatonic scales and you just want to go, well, let's let's look at some of the most iconic guitar players of all time. You know what I mean? Yeah. They might, you know, they might add in an extra note here and there, but for the most part, it's a major pentatonic and a minor pentatonic scale. Kind of, right? I mean, when I even look at a bass player like Jimmy Haslip, who is like one of the baddest bass players ever, you know, right. Jimmy Haslip, and a large part of his thing is playing beautiful pentatonic lines. Yes. And it sounds so earthy, and you're like, damn, that's on like a fusion, you know, like a fusion song or whatever like that, but he comes in with these blistering pentatonic you know runs and i'm like oh man that's so cool you know jocko different right so you know it's like it's there you just have to you know just do it different ways and listen to a lot of music and just find out different spins on it you know indeed i'm that's what i think you've definitely investigated that (laughs) (laughs) but you know there's definitely those different aspects of things that people always ask about you know hey how do i play a little bit you know outside and the blues yeah it's it's okay to do outside stuff, but try to play inside first. <laughs> Let's tell that. a story. Totally. <laughs> exactly. I know. I don't know anything about playing outside at all, you know. But I love to hear players that do it well, you know. Right. It's it's, it's it's a cool aspect to play. But again, if it's too outside all the time, then I kind of. Uh, you know, I, I tell people, it's like when you learn a new vocabulary word, you might read in a book, you know, recalcitrant. Yeah. Well, you're yeah. not going to throw it in a sentence where it doesn't make sense. But yet as guitar players, we do that stuff all the time. It's like, recalcitrant. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what? That doesn't totally. make any sense. So, totally. Yeah. totally. I mean, it's it's fun, though. I mean, whatever. I, I do my thing. And then I listen to all different kinds of music and stuff like that and just dissect it and stuff. You know, I've been doing that for my whole life. Indeed. You know, I just love the pentatonic scale. <laughs> I love it, too. It's glorious. <laughs> yeah. So when you were first starting, uh, when were you first starting to do gigs? And, yeah. and what kind of a repertoire were you doing at the time when you when you really said the blues thing is what I'm going to do? And then you started gigging with it, which led to, you know, all the different things that started to happen, like hooking up with Kim Wilson and Charlie Musselwhite and these these individuals. Well, you know, I had a whole like thing going on before that. Like I was playing in church with gospel groups and R&B and all of these different kind of things, you know. And then I just, you know, like somewhere down the line, I was just like, man, I just want to play blues. It's fun. You know, I like Stevie Ray Vaughan, the fabulous Thunderbirds and BB King and Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and all of this stuff at that time, you know? So I just kind of just said, you know, I met this guy, uh, Al Blake, and he was like a pure blues guy. He is a pure blues guy. And I love him to death. He's like a dad, but you know, he, he really helped me with, you know, discovering like more inside country blues and like, Sonny Boy Williamson and all of these different more 
you know, obscure blues artists, you know, and that was just exactly what I needed at, at that time, you know, so I submerged myself for like three or four years in only blues and just dedicated, just threw away everything and just went down that path. So along that way is when I kind of met up with this little family of traditional blues kind of people in Southern California, you know? So I'd done that for a good while and it was a whole lot of fun, you know, and I learned so much from it, but that's really what led me to playing. I think the, you know, I would play with guys like Linwood Slim and I would take guitar lessons from Junior Watson, famous blues guitar player, swing guitar player, you know, and like, you know, listen to Hollywood Fats and James Harmon, all of these guys, you know, and go out and play with them too. So I'd done that for a while, and then I got the call because I was always kind of trying to figure out, okay, I want to play with Kim Wilson, you know, because that's like the one of my favorite singers and musicians. Sure. You know? So I was like, what would what would he want as a guitar player? You know, I was like, okay, well, he probably wants a string bender a little bit and an old timey kind of guy too. So I just right. worked on that and played with him back when you could get gigs, <laughs> right. <laughs> back when that was a thing yeah and then I played with Charlie Musso White because this uh, guitar player John Wiedemeyer moved on and I got the gig with Charlie Musso White and at that time I was going to do that for the rest of my life just be a guitar player and accompany people I had no aspirations to sing or do my own band you know and everything just changed you know I just like oh man maybe I do have something to say you know? yeah yeah I'll write songs you know and that's kind of how it, in a small <laughs> nutshell, that's kind of how it went down, you know. You know, it's interesting. I saw uh, that you had played with uh, Eros Ramitsoti. Yeah, my, Eros! My, uh, my buddy uh, Reggie Hamilton played with him for years. Were you oh. playing with Reggie? Yep, absolutely. Reggie, man. I that's love Reggie. He's amazing. He's the yeah. best. But, you know, what a lot of people don't understand is that there's guys like, you know, Eros and, and Johnny Holiday, you know, before. Yeah. You but they're like Elvis in their respective countries. Like, you know, yeah. you're in Italy and like Eros is, that's like the biggest gig you can get. Yeah. And so that know, must have been fun. Yeah, it was fun. It's like Eros, you know, I when I was playing my first Italian tour, blues tour, I was playing, I forgot who I was playing with or whatever, but I, I went to Italy and I saw these pictures, these big posters, like arrows, like huge, you know, and I never would have thought in a million years that, you know, 10 years, 15 years later, I'd be playing with the guy, you know. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. I owe a lot to Mike Landau for that, you know. You That's know, right, because he was doing the gig for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. It was great. It was a good learning experience, too, before I started doing my own thing, because, you know, growing up in church and playing in funk bands and R&B, you just kind of play whatever sounds good and feels good. Right. You don't really structure as much, you know, and then I've been playing blues a lot and you just got your, you know, blues structures and stuff. So right. it was a different thing to play a little more regimented, you know, right? more, more kind of a parts thing. Yeah. yeah, which was, you know, I'm like a part for me is just coming up, you know, a funky record or something laying right. down. Something, oh, that sounds good. I go for it. But, you know, there's like a little more method to the madness. You know, yeah. you know one of the things I've noticed, too, is that you um, you like to spread the love around with the different guitars, which is awesome. Because, oh. you, know, every, you always play a little different when you, whether you're playing a 335 yeah. or a Tele or a Strat. 
Yeah. And, um, so I, do you, do you consider they're all home for you or you are, or is one more favorite than another? You posted a thing about the strat the other day, kind of like this yeah. is the guitar that really kind of does it all. But what, what is your kind of, uh, you know, if you had to be stuck with one, not, yeah, not the, Stratocaster. <laughs> the Stratocaster is definitely home base just because I learned how to play on that guitar. Right. You know, I mean, it's like that's the only guitar I can work on myself. I mean, I you gotcha. think a Telecaster is, you know, easier to work on. But for me, I just so used to changing pickups and changing bridges and all that stuff on the Stratocaster that I'm just more comfortable with that. And just if I had to choose one guitar for a gig that I didn't know what I was going to have to play, maybe funk, rock, blues, whatever, I would bring the Strat because I feel yeah, comfortable on that and I know what to do to make it work, you know. And then I would say probably a 335. I spent a lot of time on a 335. Right. And then I would say a telly. Right. I mean, because most people think I'm a telly player. I don't know why, but people think, they're like, oh, Kirk, you play a telly, right? I'm like, uh, Okay. <laughs> I think people just, people like the romanticism of a Telecaster because they a, do. They, they, do. they just love the simple, the simplicity of it and yeah. the, uh, the lack of ostentatiousness. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, That's uh, it, you know, it is, it is a glorious instrument, but I love 335s. I love strats as well. But, you know, your point is very well taken. It's like if you're going to a gig and you don't know what you're going to be asked to do, you can cover pretty much all the bases on a strat. Well, you know, with the, bridge pick, with the bridge pickup on the Stratocaster, you know, I, I feel like I can make it even more neutral sounding kind of. Yeah. You know, a yeah. telly, you know, and I spent a, a long time on the telly too. But, you know, you can kind of, with the tone control on the bridge pickup on the Strat, you can kind of yeah. make that thing do other things and not yeah. sound like a telly, you know. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's. And then the middle pickup, Curtis Mayfield, right. you know, and stuff like, you know, exactly. but a telly, I mean, come on, go into a studio session with a telecaster and you got to play any kind of roots music. Right. I mean, you could do anything on the telly. Right. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. So what, um, as I said earlier, I played your Super Reverb and it was magnificent. So what, do you kind of gravitate towards, you know, a 50 wattish Fender type amp and then use a, you know, a pedal here and there to get a little more extra crunchy type of stuff or or are you not real specific although as i said that super was it was just dialed <laughs> into the nines it sounded so damn good uh but are you real particular or do you have like an arsenal of those types of amps that are any one of which will do the trick well you know my two favorite amps of all time in the whole whole wide world <laughs> is a good super reverb right which they're like you know probably three or four out of 10 or 20. Right. You know, I mean, they gotta be, see, I like a super with a solid state rectifier tube in right. it. I like certain little things, you know, and sure. I mean, the reverb's gotta be strong and it's gotta right. be really tight in the low end. So that's, you know, but I would say a a 59 tweed basement is, that's one of the most neutral, beautiful sounding amps I think ever, you know, yes. you know, basement is pretty ridiculous, yes. you know. So those are kind of my comfy, you know, places, either one of those kind of apps, you know. So and, when you went over to Switzerland, did you, you bought amps over there, I take it, right? Because obviously you're not going to bring yours over or what, or did you bring them over? 
Well, you know what? I actually go back to the States every three or four months, okay. you know, so I play a lot there. So, I, you know, my super is stuff not going in. It's staying in California, right. you know. But I have a great uh, amp by this uh, maker here in the UK called 633. Okay. So this is like a tweed basement with 212, two Vox Golds in it. Oh. And it's loud and tight and amazing. So, I mean, I, I'm like totally covered for amps here, you know, with that. And then I'll probably, I have a two rock too, a Bloomfield prototype. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bloomfield drive. But I'll probably get another two rock too, because I, I love those guys. They're great. Yeah. Absolutely. And then as far as pedals, it's just, you know, that thing about getting under the note and it's singing and that certain dynamic range and it's singing and everything. So right. pedals like the Jan Ray and like the the um, collaboration between Ibanez and uh, Vimgram, that Tube Screamer pedal. Right. And, you know, all of those type pedals, you know, are amazing. And the Jesse Davey, you know, Duelist is amazing. You know, I actually use Tube Screamers for Gibsons. Weird. Wow. You know, because it, it kind of cuts the bass and gives you mids. Right. And True. a 335 yeah. or something, you can get that, like, Larry Carlton, like, late 70s, like, room 335 tone or whatever, right. you know? Which is a glorious sound. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of my deal and a lot of reverb, too. <laughs> reverb is good. Reverb. On your amp, you have a killer reverb and tremolo on there. Yeah, yeah, I love that thing. Yeah. It's got a really nice reverb. It's got that harmonic vibrato. Yeah. So that's a lot. Yeah. That's really good. You know, it's nice. Got it dialed in, Greg. <laughs> well, I, I lucked out. You know, I, I I met those folks and I played one of their amps and I really liked it. And we started shooting the breeze and yeah. And then I kind of gave them a wish list and I played it when they came up. I was like, this sounds great. We're done. So I mean, I, it's just fun to be able to go to gigs with a guitar, a chord, and that amp and be like, we're good. I mean, yeah, it's fun yeah. to have other little things here and there, but. Yeah, uh, I envy you on that. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my jam, having the cord just plugging straight in. That's that's amazing. Well, you know how it is. I mean, at this at this era, you know, when you're touring, it's like you're you're lucky if you have an extra guy that drives and like settles yeah. at the end of the night and maybe helps with merch. But yeah, when, you know, when we're traveling in the states, it's like you know, it's me and my son and and Tony yeah. and Oregon, and so we get to a place and you know we're loading all the stuff in. I set up all the merch. And yeah. so, and as soon as you get done with the gig, you're at the merch table. Yeah. So when you're done doing the merge, it's just like nice to go over and go, well, I guess I got to pack up my cord. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. That's nice. That is so my vibe. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, what are you going to do? So yeah. what's your schedule? I mean, obviously no one, no one knows what's going on probably through the end of the year when I talk to my, yeah. uh, my agent Klaus over there in Germany, we were supposed to do something over there in late October. Yeah. And he's like, look, man, you, you can't even, you can't even ride in a vehicle with a non-family member. Wow. Like, what? And then he goes, you have cross border, then you got to go on quarantine. So it's like, well, wow. and then of course each club, if they do open are only going to allow X amount of people. And there's no yeah. way that that, that amount of people is going to be financially worthwhile yeah, so it's like we're sitting around waiting. Yeah, I mean, you know, doing videos and whatnot. Else, so it's been it's been good, and I know you've yeah. been doing videos and stuff too. But it's we're probably not doing anything till the end of the year. I don't know if you've been hearing anything different. You know, for me, I um, actually, funny enough, I've um, somebody was um, calling me about Italy, maybe. Huh? 
crazy. Italy, a couple little things in Italy, possibly. Um, but that's about it, you know, kind of in Switzerland is basically open. So maybe I'll try and find a little club gig here or there just to blow off some steam, you know? Right. But, you know, I want to go to the States and play, you know, because I was just starting to, you know, get that going, you know, because I mostly played a lot in Europe. So I was starting to, you know, do some gigs in the States and stuff. But, you know, I'll wait. <laughs> right. You know, exactly. I'll wait. <laughs> yeah. But now you get to look at some mountains, eat some yeah. chocolate, which is delicious. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I listen to like a lot of records, like to the way for me to really kill time is just to listen to records and make little videos about things that I love. I mean, that's really the most, in these times, that's the most gratifying kind of thing, you know, sure. I can do is like, just, you know, I can wake up and, you know, think about something and like talk about it in a little video. You know, I just right. record and just talk just play whatever and i love that you know even in the studio you know i just love the red light and just what's gonna happen you right. know what what am i gonna come up with this is gonna be weird i'm gonna just try it you know so it, that i kind of get a little bit of something from that you know so well, let me ask you this what, what kind of stuff you've been uh because i know for me it's like a lot of times <clears throat> i will have been into all of these kind of iconic players and I'll go back a little bit and find out who they were listening to. And then out of the yeah. blue, as I'm looking at some stuff on YouTube, it'll be an old record from someone I've never heard of. Yeah. And you look at it and you're like, who's this? And then yeah. it leads you down a whole nother rabbit hole. So are there some of those people you've been discovering as of late? And if so, who are these individuals? Well, that's crazy. I, it's so crazy to even narrow it down to even saying like one or two people, but you know, really, Right before this happened and everything, I really kind of went back into like blues, just listen to Southern soul blues and stuff like that. And the guy before all of this happened that I was really listening to was um, a session guitar player at Muscle Schultz called uh, Eddie Hinton. Oh, yeah. He was a singer, a singer guitar player, you know, in his own right. And he wrote some really cool songs, you know. And he's the guitar player playing on I'll Take You There by the Staples Singers. He's playing okay, that little guitar yeah. part, you know, and he played with Bobby Womack. So anyway, he done this record where it was stripped down and it's sort of called the Songwriter Sessions. And it's sort of like Southern Soul with just piano, bass and drums and guitar. And it's just really cool. And he's kind of sings, he kind of sings like Otis uh, Redding. He's a okay. white guy, but he sings like Otis Redding. Awesome. <laughs> you know? I'll be checking that out post haste. Yeah. Eddie in. So, you Eddie know, that's kind of what started it. And then, um, you know, I got into like more deeper back into like blues, but kind of different stuff than I listened to. Like a lot of Earl Hooker. Yeah. Play your guitar, Mr. Hooker. I got into Johnny Young again, country blues, like uh, listening uh Actually, I've been listening to Robert Lockwood Jr. Yeah, I was gonna say I. He, I'm buying I've, records. I've, I've taken pretty. many little, little, little things yeah. from Robert Lockwood oh, Jr. Yeah. He just had some. <laughs> he just he seemed to have just a little bit more of a vocabulary. Yeah. As far as sophistication. Yeah. Uh, for the country blue stuff, and he'd throw it in like, man, that's cool. And I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's really kind of you know just the old records and 
stuff like that. Just buying even like 70s blues records by like Lonnie Brooks and stuff. And because there's this app called Discogs, you know, that you can have on your phone, Discogs. Ah. And like you can find out where the record is. You know, it's a marketplace for buying records, really. And you can just get them to your doorstep. So, you know, that's dangerous. Right. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm here in Switzerland. So like Germany, you know, I get a lot of records from Germany or I get the German editions or the Swiss or sure. the UK, you know, versions of like, are you experienced or something like that with a different album covers? Amazing. So that's keeping me busy. Yeah. (laughs) We interrupt this gristle-infested conversation to give a shout-out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Cox signature gristle-tone pickups. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars in Louisville, Colorado. Dig it all. Well, I'll tell you what, there's never any... There's never any lack of stuff to listen to and learn. Am I right? Absolutely. There's always something. YouTube. (laughs) YouTube is a rabbit hole. It is. I go for my walks in the morning. Yeah. And I'll just find something to listen to and away I'll go. Or at night when I'm going to bed and, you know, pop on something. It's like, it's, it's so fantastic. Yeah. I don't know about you, but back in the day, I, I was never real, um, I was never real proactive about finding obscure records. It's yeah. like I'd go to the the kind of cool record head shop where they yeah. sold some guitars and weed utensils and used records, yeah. you know. Yeah. And whatever they had is like that's what I that's what I learned from. So there there are times where maybe there were I was there were three records in rotation and I just yeah. powered them for what they were worth. And then you'd read Guitar Player magazine and you read an interview with somebody and they would mention all these different records of this guy and that guy. And yeah. it didn't really cross my mind that you could actually like get a magazine or something and, you know, write, you know, send away to get these records and catalog yeah. and stuff like that. But nowadays it's like any obscure reference of any of these different people, you can go online and either find someone has uploaded the audio or there's actually video footage of these people playing this stuff. It's like, it's like the golden era. <laughs> but you know, what's, you know, what's crazy about that too, Gray? I can kind of, kind of hear that you're playing though i mean because i kind of done the same thing too i'm not on your list <laughs> i'm just oh, saying i kind of think of like you know one record at a time front and back a million times right something to be said for that though well you know like you have like hendrix uh i don't know what essential hendrix or smash hit smash right. hits or something like that you know and you listen to it over and over again, instead of having, you know, are you experienced access in electric ladyland? Yeah. You, right. you have the one greatest hits. ZZ Top. Same thing. I had uh, a compilation cassette tape with most of Trace Ombres on it, you know? Right. So it's like, you know, you just listen to that over and over again. So I don't know. Maybe that was a bad thing. You definitely sound great. So. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I t- oh, thank you for thank you for that. But I, I I just think now it's, I mean there is there is something to be said for having a few things and just concentrating on those things. Yeah. It, you know, and I and I was never yeah. real uh, obsessed about doing things exact off the record. I just like playing along with the records, yeah. and I hear those things. Oh, I want that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, but it was just fun. Play- I still love playing along with records. Yeah. It's a blast. 
it's so much fun. I mean, and so many different kinds of music too, you know, like the introduction to a song or something, Fly Me to the Moon by Bobby Womack. I mean, like trying to figure that out. Or, right. Yeah. It never gets old. <laughs> All right. We're back and we're ready to attack. You know, um, our mutual buddy, Josh Smith, was, uh, I did one with him the other day and we had a good time talking. When did you guys first yeah. hooked up? You guys go back a ways, right? Oh, man. I first met uh, Josh Smith. Our friendship is just as old as Riley. I don't know how old his son Riley is, but our friendship is exactly as long as old as his son. So <laughs> that that's cool. And we met at the Cafe Boogaloo in Hermosa Beach, California. Somebody told me there was this fine guitar player playing down there I should check out. So I had to go down and check him out. And it was a shock factor because he had Bob Glob playing bass. I was oh, like, who is cool. this dude? Like I had never met Bob Glob before, you know. So I'm like, I got to go check this guy out. So, you know, we've been friends ever since. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, he's a great guy. Just, just yeah, I mean, not a musician, but just a good guy. Yeah. He's and that's funny. always a good thing because it's, it's ne never always the case. Although for the most part, it's interesting. It's like, you know, people say that uh, people usually play like they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> as far as personality-wise, you know what I mean? Or at least that's yeah. the Right? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Michael Landau was also kind of a that was pretty pretty big influence on you as far as the business is concerned, right? Did you you hung out with Michael and went to sessions with him and stuff? Or well, you know, Mike was like I met him at a gig, uh, but I, I I grew up seeing Mike play. You know, as soon as even when I wasn't old enough to get into the club I went anyway you know and I would hear him play with the Raging Honkies you know and it was amazing you know right. so just seeing him when I first was old enough to go out to clubs and stuff was amazing and then you know years later I met him and we struck up a friendship you know like that so we just hung out all the time you know and I was like the blues guy and he was like the hero so it's one of those rare times that you actually are really dear friends with one of your heroes you grew sure. up listening to, you know. So that's, you know, it's a love fest. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing, doggone it. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. I mean, it's a, yeah. uh, you know what? I got to, I got, now that I'm doing these interviews, I got to watch what I say because I think I'm always saying the same thing. Let me ask you this. Tell me about oh. the time. But uh, <laughs> <Hi>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're from L.A., you know, yeah. that's, that's a place that a lot of people, musicians might think to move to. And then, of course, there's a lot of people moving from L.A. to Nashville and yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, people do what they do for reasons that are their own. But uh, you've moved to Europe. Um, yeah. But as you said, four months out of the year. Tell us a little bit about what that was all about, if, if you care to. I mean, if it's, oh, it's absolutely no problem. I, I moved to Europe because I fell in love with the girl. Perfect. <laughs> you know, and I was like kind of playing mostly in Europe, you know, just like the European blues scenes and with other artists that I had played with previously, you know, we played a lot in Europe because that's kind of where it was for me at that time, you know, so I didn't, I wasn't really that scared and my daughter was old enough, you know, and she was in college at the time. So it wasn't, it was, it, it didn't seem that crazy to uh -huh move, you know, other than, you know, I'm LA my whole life, you know, and everything. 
but I go back on a regular basis. But that's really kind of what led me to move. I mean, really more than anything, it wasn't like for a career opportunity or anything. I fell in love. I was a musician and I feel like I can kind of live wherever. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. world is small with an airplane or... Right. Nowadays, that's a little weird. (laughs) I know. Totally. (laughs) You know, so I I mean, you know, it is what it is, but that's... That's a fact. Well, we were supposed to go out to uh, uh, to Josh's place to finish up this record. We uh, yeah. we were out there doing some stuff and did, did it at Josh's, and it was great. And I was like, well, let's come back here. And we'll just finish it. Take some other yeah. other tracks I had done back here and bring it out there. Yeah. And it was about a week before we were supposed to go out there is when the, the crap really hit the fan, as it were. Yeah, and, uh, it's like, man, Josh, I, I, I don't think we can come, man. We, if I go out there, we might, we not, might not be able to get back home, you know. And he was totally yeah, was, cool about it, and so on and so yeah. forth. But it's just such a drag because that was so fun. It was such a cool place, and and now everything's yeah. just kind of on on hold, and it's yeah, it's a strange time. I was actually in L.A. because um, I was trying to get from. Switzerland to LA to be in the States because I had a gig with Michael Landau and Eric Johnson. Okay. In Texas. So I was like, you know, come on, Kirk, Mike Landau, Eric Johnson, you know, like, so I'm I, coming, I whatever. If I had to like, you know, whatever, take a right. ship. <laughs> you know? So, you know, but I was, so I was in LA. So everything started locking down and I was like, okay, this is never going to happen. So I better go back home where all my guitars are and everything and records, you know? So I made it back home, but it was right there, right, right a day or two before they locked everything down. Right. March, you know? And now there's things are spiking out there again. It's like, Oh, dog on it. But what are you going to do? We'll get through it somehow. As yeah. I like to say, you know what? Things are either going to get better or they won't. Or they won't. <laughs> We've got no choice. <laughs> I mean, that's really true. I mean, it's, <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, I just as long as the power works here and my records are over there, you know, my record player, I'm going to just break well, it. You know, inevitably, you know, when, when we've been doing a few of these interviews now, it's been – you know, we're talking about this whole idea of the, you know, being in quarantine. Yeah. And as I said, I've gained a quarantine, but that's another, oh. that's another situation. But, um, you know, I've just been talking about the fact of, you know, we're so spoiled as musicians is that if we had to just stay home for a period of time, it's like, we really don't care because I mean, as long as, you know, not marginalizing income, of course, you know, as long as yeah. you're not like in peril of not being able to, you yeah. know, keep your power on and eat food. Those are yeah. very legitimate concerns. But yeah. those aside, if you have to stay home and your only real uh, task is being not bored, you know, yeah. to, be able to sit around and play guitar all day is, is not really a, a hardship. <laughs> you know, it's funny because these things, these, uh, these things right here that you've been doing, like I saw the one with Rick Vito, you know, and I right. love Vito's playing and Steve Lukather, of course, you know. Right. I mean, it's amazing. And it, it, I realize that these guys are sort of like my musical dads in a way, not to make right. them old or anything, but and it's like you always kind of want to hear what your dad's got to say about things. Right. 
you know, and to just hear these guys that have been there and done it when it was really cooking was just cool, you know, to hear um, Steve Luger there talking about, you know, doing the interview, which was just amazing. And Rick Vito, too, just talking about, like, playing with John Mayall. Right. What is that, Banquet in, in Blues? I think it's yes. Yeah, and Larry the Mole Taylor and Telecaster Black Guards with Super Reverbs. Woo! Right. Anyways, sorry. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. You know, it's um I have found that it this this little respite from gigging and so on and so forth, it actually has been um it's been good like for refining, you know what I mean? Like refining yeah. what I do, looking at some of the old repertoire and going, you know, that stuff wasn't half bad. I should maybe revisit that stuff. And you know what yeah. I mean? Because we're always thinking about oh, the next thing. You know, what's yeah. going to be next? Get that next record out. Go to this. And then when you yeah. got a little time, you're like, hey, you know what? I can take, breathe for a minute here and just yeah. kind of hang and check stuff out. And, make, hey, that that thing wasn't so bad after all. Maybe I should do more of that. Have you been experiencing some of that yourself? Absolutely. You know, putting flat wound strings on guitars, you know. Oh, yeah. All kinds of weird things. Trying different guitars and just, you know, okay, this is more comfortable. That sounds like crap. You know, right. this cool. <laughs> You know, just stuff like that, you know, it's been. But it's amazing. I bought this little cheap nylon string guitar. So it was like a music go round. My son needed yeah. some, some stuff and we were going in there to buy a mic stand. I was like, yeah. $179. It was orange, which already yeah. made me weak. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't have a nylon string guitar. So I, I grabbed this nylon string guitar. It's got a, uh, it's got a Fishman pickup on it. I plug it in. Yeah. Things sounds unbelievable. There so it's you just go. Like those little things like, oh, well, this is going to lead to a whole nother creative yeah. thing. Yeah. Crazy that I, way, isn't it? Had that happened with an SG, this uh, Gibson SG. It's been really fun. It's just like one of the, like, you know, lower line Gibson SGs. And oh, yeah. Amazing. It just sounds all bright and everything. Yep. I'm like, oh, this is like a Telecaster. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? The other day I was... Um, I was getting my guitar. I had some work done on a guitar and while I was in the, they do this thing where you call them when you're in the parking lot and they bring the stuff out. And I was like, yeah, I, I've got a hankering for a flanger or a phaser. It was a phaser because yeah. I've been listening to on my walks. I've been listening to like some live Zeppelin stuff from like 77 yeah. or from their 1980 tour. You know what I mean? Of yeah. Europe. It's, quality is subject to, it's a yeah. But it's but it's glorious in its way. Yeah. You know, and Paige is using that phaser. And then yeah. I'll, as I'm listening to Shuffle on my, you know, phone, like some of that rock and roll animal Lou Reed stuff would come yeah. on with Steve Hunter and that Wagner wow. dude, and they both got the phasers going. Yeah. And, and then, you know, I was watching that stuff uh, video from them at Montro, you know, and Eric yeah. Dingo would put on that phaser and it just, it's like, God, that sound. I've got phasers, but there's a, a particular thing I was looking for that my phaser that I have doesn't do. So I was like, what do you got? Do you got one of those like script phasers? And the, and the guy's like, no, wait, there's this new, uh, to phase 95 that you can make be like all three of the different eras of, of the, yeah. of the MXR iterations. Yeah. So I got this thing. It sounds magnificent. And you forget about how much stuff was done with that. Freaking with pedal. <laughs> yeah. Am I right? I have a fetish for uh, phasers. I actually really, really, really love phasers. I might not use them all the time, but I have like, I collect small stones. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then, but I just got this new boss um, phaser. It's like the big pedal and it can do everything. It can sound like a Leslie, a phaser. It's got two different phaser modes and it sounds incredible. Coming from a vintage guy like myself, right. it's 
song is amazing. So check that out too. It's a lot of fun, you know. Wow. Yeah, it's so funny with the pedals is that I'll get them. And now I've just become, as I said, it's like, I'm used to just a chord into the amp. So the smaller, the better. So this yeah. little thing is like, it's, it's one of these little mini jobs. That's and the power amazing. thing came with it. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's always my wow. problem. It's like, where's my wall wart? Oh, Jesus. You know, and I'll have a pedal board and, and every now and again, I'll get it outfitted with all the cool stuff. Yeah. And then, and then it's, then it's like in the way, and then this little room we've been doing these things with Dylan and me. And it's like, yeah, well, you're taking up a lot of real estate having this freaking pedal board in here. So the next thing you know, that damn thing's out. And yeah, you know how it is. It never ends. I keep looking at this uh, Reverend guitar behind you with the black headstock. Yes. You know, it remember like just from the top of it, it kind of reminded you, remember way back, well, like maybe in the 90s, Billy Gibbons had those Telecasters that were all black? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it just reminded I was like, man, that is cool. What is Thanks, that? Like this is actually the prototype for what will be my next uh, Reverend guitar, which was going to come mm. out summer Nam before, you know, the pestilence hit. But yeah, so it's also the slightly larger body, but it's set yeah. neck. Wow. And Gibson scale with an ebony fingerboard. And then it, I'm going to have those uh, new Fishman Fluence signature uh, P90s that will look and sound like P90s, but they'll be quiet. Wow. And they'll have uh, two voices. And then I have this really cool out of phase thing planned because I was saying to him, I was like, you know, it's so funny when you talk to people about the out of phase setting. I'm sure you've experienced this. Oh, so yeah. You talk to people about. Well, I want that the Peter Green wiring, and they'll be like, yeah. "Well, yeah, just do an out of phase thing." And like, no, it's got to be that thing. So when you're on a you know two volume type of guitar, like a Les Paul yeah. or whatever the case may be, yeah. and you're in that middle position, you're out of phase. If you back off on either one of those volumes just a little yeah. bit, it becomes this fat, really cool sound. Yeah. And I go, "That's what I want." So what we figured out to do is that inside you're going to be able to set where you want that phase to be so you can go in and actually set it be just that little back off thing so then when you actually hit the button to be in the middle position middle position yeah. of the phase, it'll be that sound wow which i think will be really cool you know that's funny because my dan electro i have this dan electro and i had it wired now help me on this because Series or parallel, I don't know, whatever. Right, same here. I'm like, it, it's like out of phase, right? And you know, like you said, the thinner sound, right? Right. But I got this thing wired so it's like out of phase, but parallel or series, so it's loud. Right. It's like the same volume all the way, but out of phase and loud. So it's sort of like the same thing, but totally yes. different. Right. Because <laughs> exactly. we love the fat out of phase thing. That's exactly. Amazing. Well, it's amazing how much of that sound, because, you know, there's people that just don't get it. They're like, you'll talk yeah. to me, you're like, well, I want that. Well, no one uses that out of phase sound. I'm like, let's do a quick recap yeah. <laughs> of, of the songs that were done with the out of phase sound, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love that sound. And when you can get it just right, man, it's it's a glorious thing. Oh, yeah. And also in the track, too, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, like super bright, you know, like yep. full on both volumes, you know, sitting in the track, just like all chanky, like James Brown or something. You know? Yes. Woo! It's I a glorious it. thing. It's a beautiful thing. So I got to <laughs> hear that thing. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting that rascal. I mean, it's cool because it's it's got just regular P90s in it now that that Reverend makes, and they sound great. They got that real honky, especially the the bridge pickups got that cool honky tone yeah. to it, you know. Uh, but it is noisy as hell because that's just the way those pickups are. If you're in a, you know, yeah. we got the computer in here and this light and all this kind of crap. So if I, it's like, yeah. so it's going to be cool. We did voice the pickups and they sound great. Wow. Um, but we just had one more little tweak that we had to do. And then of course, all hell broke loose with Pestle. The last trip I actually was on an airplane for was out to Boston to voice the pickups. Oh. Uh, and then it's like, oh, so we just have one more thing we need to do. But, uh, yeah. but that'll be coming out and that'll be, that'll be super fun. Because I think most people, you know, sometimes I'm doing a live feed or whatever, and people will ask, oh, why P90s? And I think most people prefer the cool sound of a P90. It's just that they're not practical because of the noise. Wouldn't you say that's true? I mean, if you had your choice of like a really cool P90 versus a humbucker, you'd probably go with the P90 if you could be guaranteed it wouldn't like be buzzing like a demon. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially for some reason on the Telecaster guitar, P90s really are cool, too. That, you know, I don't know what it is. You right. Know, but P90s on a Tele-style guitar is just a thing, you know? Yeah. I rocked that for a long time You with my Sir Tele, you know? And oh, yeah, yeah. That was a lot of fun. And then I had it, you know, where you could get out of phase. You know? Yep. So, yeah, I love that. I like humbuckers, too, but I like the really kind of brighter humbuckers. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's, but a P90, a quiet P90 would be amazing. Yes. Yeah. Which I'm looking forward to unleashing upon humankind. Yeah, it's going to be wild. I can't wait to hear you. <laughs> it's going to uh, be it'll amazing. Be, it'll be fun just to, uh, to get everything back dialed again. You know, this, these are, uh, you know, we, we, we can't be whining too much about, oh, my doggone guitar can't come out right now when there's people actually having real problems. But, uh, uh, it will be nice to get that thing out and it'll be yeah. fun. You know, cause it can, I'll, you know, kind of have the bases covered with, uh, that guitar and the other one. Uh, yeah. and of course there's always, you know, future iterations with maybe three pickups, but we shall see. Yeah. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, uh, yeah, but still though, that's really cool though. Yeah, you know, that's like a two gig bag kind of thing. You got the heavy P90 thing. You got your twang going. Woo! Exactly. Double and voice. then Dunsky. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it, it's kind of an interesting thing. It's like, you know, I, I played strats for years yeah. and, and um, I always felt like you had to be kind of like MacGyver. It sounds like you're more, a lot more MacGyver-ish than myself with strats because, you know, I like a floating tremolo so you can do all the cool stuff. Sometimes I just yeah. like resting my palm on the strat and, you know, doing tremolo yeah. that way, let alone grabbing the bar and doing the thing. But yeah. to me, there was always a, is like this conversation going on in my mind when I played a strat, you know, it's like yeah. the voices in my head. It's like, okay, the first part of the song, I do this at the end of the song, I've got to do an arpeggiated part with some open strings. And if I grab that whammy bar and do any cool shit between now and then I may be in a world of pain. You know what I mean? It's like, you're always having this conversation of, of practicality with a strat. And then finally at one point, it's just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to play a telly. There are three sounds. They're all good. Yeah, and you can throw this thing around and it'll stay in tune. Yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, you miss you miss some of the stuff with the strat. But you know, at some point, it's like you feel you're not going to be able to be your full self if you don't have at least a strat because there's things that you do on a strat you don't do in another guitar. Am I right? It's just kind of a weird. Yeah, thing. totally. And a telly the same way. You know, like going in the studio doing anything rootsy without a Telecaster. Right. Yeah. You know. So, I mean, it, 
Yeah, the stride is just, I don't know. It's just, I can do things on there and I, then I don't float my tremolos. So it's kind of like a telly, you know? Oh, okay. So you, you planted that. Yeah. Yeah. And you're probably like, man, well, why don't you just play a telly? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I get it. I just, you know, for me, it's like, you know, there was such, you know, I was such a Hendrix fanatic and, yeah. um, and to me it was, it was so cool when he would do things like in the live versions of Red House where he would just, you know, play like a da 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 and go in and it's just yeah. like, oh my God, I just want that. And I remember when I was first learning how to play, uh, I, I, I went and I saw the Allman Brothers. This is like 1981, 82, wow. something like that. And, um, and uh, Jimmy Thackeray opened up, the band, I'm spacing out, the band he was in. I know the somebody's going to be raging forth in the comment section, but Jimmy Thackeray was in the Nighthawks. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So Nighthawks are playing and uh, Jimmy Thackeray's playing a strat. He totally did that stuff. He was like, sing it, yeah. and I was like, Oh, I've got to have a strat. Yeah. And so I, I wanted that wiggle bar. And then I, I, I was a huge Jeff Beck fan. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, right around 83 or so he did um uh, 82, 83, there was this weird show. I don't know if you ever saw it back in the day, but it had a lot of this kind of this LA super band behind him. Actually, in this, there was a drummer named Rick Jagger. Oh, it yeah. sounds like it's spelt like Mick Jagger, but it was more Jaeger, but he said Jagger, <laughs> probably a rock and roll thing. But uh, he was in this band with, and I think it was, um, um, oh, I can't remember all the different guys, but all, all of these kind of, they were all in the Dave Mason band at some point. Anyways, they did the show called Rock and Roll Tonight. And and Billy Squire was actually the host that night, but yeah. they had this jam between Les Paul and Jeff Beck. And they came yeah. out, and the first tune they played was that peace and love song, you know, bang, yeah. ding, 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 ding. oh, it's just a great, you know, great tune. Yeah. And Jeff Beck comes out and he's got like uh, an old 50s strat, or maybe it was one of those new reissues that had just come out of those 57 yeah. strats. And so immediately I was like, oh my God, look at that guitar. And he was going yeah. through a twin. And he, and he just like a twin cranked and he had just like a little, some kind of single space processor that just did a yeah. little slapback sound. Right. Okay. And he comes out and he just started doing whammy stuff. And I was like, Oh, you know, and, it, and it, he hasn't gotten to the point where he is now where he's really got it dialed in. I yeah. almost prefer the Jeff Beck of the, of the voyage until the destination. You know what I mean? And, and he would do all of this, this weird stuff. I was like, God, I just want that whammy bar so bad, but it's yeah. just, just makes things so complicated when you have to play everything else and try to keep that thing in tune, which Jeff like is lucky. He plays all this amazing stuff and he doesn't have to worry about, okay, now I got to play the chords and the chorus. You know what I mean? It's like, no, I just be Jeff Beck all the time and it's magnificent. So dig me, but you know, everyone else is like, yeah, yeah but I got to play that other shit too now. And it's going to be out of tune. And I got to play Mustang Sally too. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be out of tune because of the wiggle bar. It's funny. You bring up, uh, Jeff Beck during that era because one of my favorite Stratocaster tones ever in the whole wide world is the Arms concert. You know that thing oh, that's been absolutely that's the era. Yes, man, Jeff Beck when he came out with that '50s Strat and that slight slap back on there, and that it sounded like the most '50s Strat ever. He had yes. the greatest '50s Strat tone. I mean, it was like amazing i just yes. like you could like kind of get a little drive on command just by the volume control and just right so beautiful i mean that 
I, I reference that still to this day. And that's that that's that same era, right? Yeah. And that concert was huge for me. And that was the first time we saw Paige with the string bender. And I was totally. like, I don't know what that thing is, but I gotta get it. Totally. And the thing about old Paige was it's just bit. like it hey. didn't matter that he was sloppy because he was like the coolest dude on earth. You know what I mean? Totally. He comes oh. out, he's got the cigarette, he looks like a scarecrow because he's so skinny <laughs> with that suit hanging off. You're just like Listen, I know heroin's bad, but that's a badass look. Nelly <laughs> <laughs> was like brown, you know, amazing or black or brown or whatever. Right. Oh, yeah. And then he done Stairway to Heaven too. And like, yes. Lyrical, amazing. Oh, back in the oh. day. And then they toured with that. And I, of course, they only hit like, um, I think it was like New York, Chicago and San Francisco or something, but yeah, yeah, that was a huge thing. Cause those were my, those were my guys, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, but one of my favorite Jeff Beck records really of all time was that there and back record. I love that record. Oh man. There and back is amazing. Yeah. Is that, I always reference there's that one point in that one tune that there's that one little section there where he's doing this chicken picking thing. And that's where I, that's where I first learned it. Dire Straits and Jeff Beck is where I learned that. It's like old Jeffrey. Oh, man. Jeff is a bad dude. He Wired is indeed. By God. Wired. Well, that's funny that you were into that as well, because that was that was the that was the thing. And and then pr just prior to that, too, he did that. Um, I don't know if you were into if, if you were into this one as well, but maybe a year or, or so before that, he did a. Um, this thing called the secret policeman's ball. Oh, with Eric Clapton? With Eric Clapton, right? Oh, and they did man. further on Stay up on the, the road, crossroads. And like my favorite version of Cause We Vented as Lovers ever with that telly oh. with the two humbuckers. <laughs> that's amazing. Man, and that, that solo on further on up the road, man, I don't know what was going on, but Jeff just like, I don't know. He just went in outer space or something. I mean, exactly. Was, and that's what I love so much is because that was on the telly with two humbuckers. So there was no wiggle bar. It was just him doing his thing. Yeah. It's, I enjoyed that period. Yeah. I enjoyed it all. Don't get me wrong, but there was something about that. Cause it was, yeah. you know, he had the rootsy thing, but you know, he had the reverence for the past, but he was pushing it, you know, <laughs> first Clapton was kind of locked into I'm Eric Clapton, I'm Eric Clapton, I'm Eric Clapton. Whereas Jeff was yeah. like, Hey, what, what's going on? Let's let's take this to the like, galaxy and see what I'm happens. I'm a player, man. <laughs> I come to play some guitar. <laughs> right. Yeah, well. that was glorious. That's funny. Yeah. It's, isn't it funny? It's like you find little things that you think about yeah. over the years as like like little pivot points, flash points of things that really kind of like opened your mind to certain things. Like, woo! You know, I was actually just trying to figure out what the tone was that he was using on Wired. You know, and I guess oh, yeah. like tone bender or overdriver pedal or whatever on there to get that. You know what? That's an interesting question because he, um, you know, I was wired as um, pork pie hat is on wired, right? I always, I always look at a white strap and wired mixed up in my brain. Yeah, both and wired. Yeah, right. But that's got yeah, and it's got uh, yeah. Yeah. Because he's it. It just sounds like that. Just sounds like a Marshall crank. Even that one part where he's like, dibber, dibber, it's almost like it's, yeah. you think it's an octave pedal, but I think it's just a Marshall crank. You know how Marshalls do that weird stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you know where they just do weird stuff when they're cranked. Yeah, 
And uh, but yeah, it's hard to say. He's using a bunch of different stuff, but man, that's a great tone on there as well. In the base, who was that guy? Wilbur Bushcomb or something like that? Yeah. Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah, there was. I had those on cassette. That was back in the day of the cassette. I would just flip it over and listen again, and flip it over. And I don't know for some reason I I just really connected with the ZZ Top name. Oh, as did I. Absolutely. Grace Hombres was like, it just was something so earthy and funky about it. You know, it's it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting thing. I was at this party with a bunch of debauched people uh, (laughs) when I was in high school. And um, it's the only time I ever stole anything. (laughs) Now, I hope hope the statute of limitations is, is, is over. (laughs) <laughs> it was bad vibes. There's people, there was some shady stuff going down. Yeah. And this guy had a copy of ZZ Top's uh, Tejas. And I yeah. thought, I'm trying to learn stuff. This guy's debauched. I'm taking this record. So I grabbed yeah. that record. And that, to this day, felony aside, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. is my favorite ZZ Top record because it was just. I mean, like, uh, and there's so much politically incorrect things like arrested for driving while blind. It's like, You'd be canceled immediately for the for the subject matter of that song, but that the tone and the little sections they would do and and the like ten dollar man transition into that's like after Fandango and all that so that's yes. sort of transition right. into kind of a little bit more commercial, right? Which yeah, I, I think it was they they uh after Trace Ombres they were so huge and then Flandango yeah. I mean though but after those records I think it was after their huge tours uh so they, they had got a little deal. extra dough and I think it was I think that was the last record before they took their hiatus and then they would come back and do uh Deguelo, which is another one of my favorite records. Oh man that record is amazing. The, how about the strat tones on that record they're what just What about Jailhouse Rock on Fandango Oh Oh, that tone when it goes in. That's like the most huge tone ever. Yes. Yes. You know, I I always wanted to meet and hang out with Billy Gibbons, and it's just never happened. But I remember this this one uh, Fender event that we did, and all these different people played on this thing, and I went up and played a couple tunes, and then Billy Gibbons got up and played. And then afterwards, we're in this green room, and everyone's going up and harassing him, and I'm not – I'm not that way. It's like, I'm not going to go up yeah. unintroduced and, and, you know, hump his leg. You know, it's just not my yeah. thing. But I remember two things. I remember every time he took a picture, he's like, all right, cool. And then he would go for every one of the pictures. He would, he, he would, he would do this. Look, I thought, I know we'd get along great. Right. Yeah. And then at the very end he's leaving and I'm just kind of hanging the per- in the periphery. I was like, ah, well, I guess I'm, I'm not going to be able to get to me. And he stopped what he was doing. And he reached over. He's like, Hey man. And shook my hands like, I knew you were cool. (laughs) Have you ever got to hang with old Bill? Yeah. Huh? Did you ever get to hang with Billy at all? Yeah, the T-Birds opened up for um, ZZ Top in, uh, I think it was Houston, maybe. Okay. And it was, he was just like, you know, he was just like your dad, you know, coming out to check out all of the amps and everything. And he was just amazing. Oh, cool. So I got to hang with him just a little bit. He seems like an epic. I mean, Blue Jean Blues still to this day. I mean, that is just. That tone and the space and everything. Yeah. Just got back from babies. Oh, man. Woo. 
it's fantastic. And that voice, his voice yeah. is amazing. Absolutely. Crazy. Well, listen, I appreciate you taking the time to hang with us here. It's been, it's been a blast talking with you. Oh, my pleasure. It's been we could go on, I'm sure, for quite some time talking about our favorite records and music. <laughs> Absolutely. Guitars. And yeah. Trouble, and food, probably. Totally. Definitely food. <laughs> well, listen, my friend, stay safe over there. I look forward to seeing you again soon when all this madness is over and, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to checking out more of your stuff as you post it every day. For those of you who are unawares, you need to go and click on his Instagram page and Facebook or YouTube, whatever your desired entry point into the inter-Google is, and check out. He's been posting really cool videos every day, so check it out. Thanks again, Kirk. You're the man. Thank you so much, Greg. I had a pleasure. Oh, thank you very much. Our, our pleasure. Take care. We'll see you soon. Good to see you. Right. Have a good one, my friend. You too. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the Mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon, or you'll hear me soon. <laughs>